stuff, and maybe it's too soon to make the, make the caption or the judgment calls on those years, but I wonder, like, what are yours? Like, what's the caption or what's the, what's the title that you would put on each chunk, each block, each season of your life? Maybe there's like a defining factor that something happened at one point, right? Like uh, teenage years. Teenagers could, could be distilled down into this one factor. My family moved cross-country, and things were never the same. It wasn't like a geographical switch. I mean, it was, but, but it was the fact that everybody that I had ever known was all in one place, and they were a 1,000 miles away from me. It was isolating. And that's like the title that you would put in your teenage years. Maybe you look at a mistake that you made, a road that you've gone down, and you're just like, it's a specific age. It's 32. It's 43. When like everything came crashing down around me, maybe it was my fault. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was a job loss. But it's like I could look back at my life, maybe you're saying it and going, it's like everything is measured before that event, after that event. It has a title. It has a caption. Now, the reason why I, I invite you to imagine your life that way is because I think it's my conviction that, that God is telling a story through your life. And it's helpful, I think, to understand that the story that God is telling through your life, a chapter at a time, to understand what that next chapter is going to be. Now, the reason why I want you all to do that, to, to be on the same page with me here, is that, is that sometimes your next chapter has a lot to do with the chapters that came previously. Sometimes it's the case that God uses something that happened in the past and, and like use it, maybe it's overcoming that or maybe it's using that somehow to influence the next chapter that God is telling in your story, in your life. So like what, what are those captions? What are those titles? What story is God telling through your life? And if you're listening to this this morning, or if you're here in the room this morning, I want to tell you that it's never too late. It's never too late for God to start writing a new chapter in your life, and you're never too far for God to change what road you're on. I want you to hear a story about a changed person, a changed individual. I want you to hear a story about somebody where God dramatically changes the road he's on, where God dramatically rewrites the next chapter in his life story. But what I love about this, this isn't going to be one of those like overnight, like dramatic transformation kind of stories. No, this one takes place, if you can believe it, this one takes place over almost four decades, three continents, and four books of the Bible. So, Grab one of those. They're underneath the chairs in front of you, also on the screen behind me. This story is going to be a wild one. But, but let's pull through to see what the story that God is telling through one of his early followers, John Mark. Now, we're going to go to the book of Acts first, where it picks up. And a lot of this is going to take place in the book of Acts, chapter 12. But before we jump in there, I want you to see, I want you to see like what kind of person uh, uh, John Mark is, and, and also like the type of environment that he grows up in and is born into. The story is going to open with Peter being in jail. Uh, Peter is one of the first followers of Jesus. He finds himself in prison in the book of Acts chapter 12, and he's in prison wondering how in the world he's ever going to get out of here. And then an angel shows up, right? Like an angel shows up and, and leads him out of prison. 
So like everybody's asleep or they don't pay attention. It's at night. Not only does the angel lead him out of prison, the angel is also leading him down the street and leads him to a specific home where the people inside are having an all-night prayer vigil on, you guessed it, Peter's behalf. And listen in on who is inside of that house. This is Acts 12, verse 12. And it says, when this had dawned on him, this is Peter now, he went to the house of Mary. Which one? There's like 100 Marys in the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah. The mother of John, also called Mark. We're going to call him John Mark where many people had gathered, and they're praying. They're having this all-night prayer vigil. Okay, Peter shows up at the house of John Mark. Now, let's just like put some of the facts together to kind of get an idea about who this John Mark is, because I feel like it's going to be important later on. Um, the year is, you know, something uh, low 30s, mid-30s or something like that, AD. Jesus had just been crucified. He had been buried. He had been raised from the dead and then resurrected to heaven only a couple years previously. That's why Peter was in prison, because he was telling everybody about the Jesus movement. Peter goes to this house where a young guy, kind of putting some of the dates together, you get uh, John Mark is maybe 14, 15 years old. He's a young, he's an early teenager in this house. And so I want us to notice a few things, because we're going to follow the life of John Mark here to see this story that God is telling in his life. It's a dramatic one over a long period of time. And, and what I want us to see is a few things. First of all, he's like a young guy, right? 14, 15 years old. Just very, very impressionable. Second thing is, the story tells us that many people were gathered into his house. I mean, this was not a normal, you know, a custom thing in those days for homes to be large enough to accommodate many, many people being gathered in like this all-night prayer vigil. So I just, I want us to see John Mark's upbringing as something like um, a euphemism that we'd use today is saying he had a comfortable life, right? He grew up rich, John Mark. Not only that, though, there's something interesting about his story is that he was extraordinarily well-networked into the early Jesus movement of the time. I mean, Peter, Peter is miraculously let go from prison, and the angel leads him to none other than the house of John Mark. Peter is going to later write a letter, and he's going to refer to John Mark, and he's going to say, this is, it's my son, not literally, spiritually, because that's the level of investment that Peter had into him, John Mark, extremely formative time. Barnabas is his, uh, is his cousin. Like, he knows these, these, these early Christian church leaders, these are his people. And, and so, like, he has a leg up, you could say, in the Jesus movement, in have, being a key influencer in this movement. Now, later on, we're going to see Saul uh, turn to Paul in this dramatic, like, overnight conversion where Paul is walking down the road. He, you know, he's uh, persecuting the early church. He's throwing Christians in prison or worse. He's breaking up families. And then Jesus literally meets him on the road and says, like, why are you persecuting me, right? And he has this dramatic Saul to Paul kind of conversion. Uh, not everybody is down with it. Some people think it's a trick. But Paul goes through and he kind of takes his offering for the church in Jerusalem that he had previously persecuted. And Barnabas now, John Mark's cousin, is with him. And he's like, hey, buddy, um, why don't we go ahead and deliver that, that gift together? 
And I just feel like it would just go a little bit smoother with you. Barnabas is a smart guy. So the two of them go, and look who they take with him. This is Acts 13 now, verse 4. The two of them, that's Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, you don't have to know where these places are, and sailed from there to Cyprus, but it's cool to find out. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. And oh, by the way, John, that's right, John Mark, was with them as their helper. I love that phrase, like, as their helper, because he's now, you know, like, late teenage years, potentially, like 18, 19 years old. He's their, he's their young helper along their way. A helper to Paul and Barnabas, like this dynamic duo. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul. It's like the, the most famous missionary partnership in the Christian church history. I mean, these guys are responsible for just countless churches starting and people coming to faith throughout generations and generations of the seeds that they sowed. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, what an opportunity. The specific word helper that was used there is a, is a, it's, a, it's a boating term. It actually is, a, it's, he was with them as a under oarsmen. They just imagine like a bunch of guys like lined up and they're rowing the boat, uh, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul. They get John Mark to be their under oarsmen. It's sort of like the you know, first century equivalent to an internship. <laughs> you know, I had to row the boat and watch and pay attention to everything that we do. Now, I don't want to undermine that either. Because we have interns around here, and I think we give great opportunities. But let's say you're an intern, like working with me or Mark or student ministries director or Zach, worship director. Like, all of this pales into comparison than, than, having, a, than having an internship, an, an under-oarsmanship under Paul and Barnabas. Like, that's incredible that, that, that Mark gets to learn from such incredible people. Clearly, we can see that God has John Mark, like, like set up to be a huge proponent, a huge force to be reckoned with in the early Christian movement. Until everything comes to a screeching halt. Later on in chapter 13. From Paphos, Paul, Paul, it's the only name we get, just Paul, and his companions, that would be Barnabas and John Mark, they sailed to Perga and Pamphylia. And there's this ominous note where John left. John left. John left the team to go back to Jerusalem. John left. John Mark, he gave up. John Mark quit. John Mark abandoned the team. We don't totally know why the author of Acts doesn't tell us like what it was that made him leave. But few stories in the New Testament in Acts we have recorded where, where a missionary leaves the group. Uh, not because he's arrested or under persecution or threat or something like that. But John Mark did. He left. I, I don't know this for certain. I'll just get that out there. But I have a hunch that because he grew up <clears throat> comfortable, 
I have a hunch that once he started getting out there to Cyprus and Pamphylia to Paphos, I have a hunch that once he started seeing the missionary life up close, once he started seeing what his cousin Barnabas was doing all that time, once he started seeing the sacrifices that Paul had to make in the hardship that they had to endure, I have a theory that it was, it was too much. And John Mark left. And John Mark quit. He got out of there. Like I said, we don't know exactly like what happened. He's yeah, 20 years old at the time, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit older, but it sticks with Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul. Because later on we hear again in Acts chapter 15, and this one's a little bit longer, we see sometime later, this is after that first missionary journey, that church planting trip where they start all these churches in all these cities. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, hey, let's go back and visit the believers in the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and like see how they're doing. In verse 37, uh, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But, Ma but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he, had, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. And they had <laughs> a sharp disagreement. Thank you, author of Acts, for that. And they parted company. Uh, sharp disagreement. Let's not make the mistake of thinking this is like, this is like a spirited intellectual discussion. Oh, no, no, no. They, they disagreed sharply, meaning there was yelling and there was shouting and there was, there was ultimatums drawn up. Well, he comes with us or else. No, no. That deserter, his words, he abandoned us. He's not coming with us again. We are not making that mistake named John Mark ever again. And they split company. Like, I just, I needed to sit in, right? The, one of the most impactful missionary partnership in Christian history has just been broken up for one reason called John Mark. And as if that wasn't quite bad enough, to pour salts on the wound, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That was the original plan, commended by the believers. The church, the church made a call. The believers all gathered around. And the believers gathered around and they, did, and they decided, you know whose side we're going to take? You know who we're going to go? We're going to go with Paul and Silas. We're going to hang Barnabas and Mark like out to dry. Like, sorry guys, we're over here. And the storyteller continues, the, the, the camera, if you could say, continues. Not with Barnabas and Mark. No, no, the story continues with Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are known as the guys who start even more churches, do even more missionary work, and, and, and turn even more people towards Jesus. And this is an incredible story that God is telling with Paul and, and, and with Silas. 
and Barnabas and John Mark, well, they were presumably up to something good as well. We just don't, we just don't hear about it. Now, the reason why, like, I, I want to just highlight that. I mean, on the one hand, think about it, right? You're, you're John Mark. You've just caused the first major schism in church history. By the way, there'd be plenty of other ones, other ones after that. But, but, like, you're responsible for the first one because you did something foolish, because you've made a mistake, because you quit, because you gave up, and you know that. And now as a, as a 20-something guy, your cousin sticks with you. He's the only one, probably because you're cousins, and he doesn't want to turn his back on his family. Meanwhile, Paul, Silas, the rest of the Christian church, they're like, we're sticking with these guys over here. We're, we're betting on winners, not quitters. I was at a, um, I was at a uh, conference a little while ago. There's uh, not too many people there. There's like a couple dozen people, and this this incredible dude was, uh, was talking. He's a church leader. It's a group of church leaders. And I'm just like, whoa, you guys are all amazing. But uh, this guy was talking. And about 20 years ago, he started this church that's now 25 different campuses and doing 47 different like worship experiences throughout the city. It's like this incredible, incredible story um, that God is telling. But like on top of that, it's not like he puts a video on the screen or something like that. He goes in and like sends people into these specific like niches within the city, right? So it's a big city. And so they've got this like little Mexico over here. And so they find this Hispanic church leader guy and they, they hook him up to a mariachi band. And they're like, you got to tell these people about Jesus in whatever way that speaks to them over here. It's gang central. And they, they get this guy who's a former gang member and of that gang. And they're like, you're now the church leader here because you can speak to them. And this is incredible work. But then right across the street and down a little ways, it's, it's rival gang territory. And so the people aren't going to like cross the street that way. And so they get another like former gang member of that gang to start another one. And it's just like, how have I never heard of you people before? It's everything is, it's under the radar. And it's just this awesome, awesome Jesus movement. And, and he goes like, listen, it boils down to these four letters. He said they're the most important four letters to the growth of our church and to the advancement of this gospel in our city. The four letters he goes are I see in you. Because that's what everything around here is built on. Is constantly finding people and constantly looking at people and saying, I see in you. And getting them that under oarship or bringing them along to whatever they're doing. I see in you is responsible, is the way that God has moved through this city. I see in you. I see in you. But John Mark is hearing the exact opposite. He's hearing church leaders. Paul, he's hearing the church as a whole, the believers, take sides against him. And he can't be angry. He can't be mad, at least not at anybody else except himself. And nobody except his poor cousin, who probably has to, is saying those four letters, I see and you. At this point, I would expect John Mark to just sink back into complete obscurity. And just to be, at best, forgotten about in history. He's, um, he's maybe 20-something, 
when this happens? You know, I just imagine what caption, what title he would give to that stage of his life. Not just when he abandoned his friends, but, but the caption that he would give to that stage of his life, when now everything that he's done, the worst thing that he's done has just been laid out in front of everybody and everybody he cares about and everybody he's grown up hearing about has now turned against him, save his cousin Barnabas. The caption maybe that he would assign to that stage of his life, disappointment, failure, quitter, washed up. But it's never too late for God to write the next chapter of his life. And he's never too far for God to change the road that he's on. I don't know what happened in the 10 years after that. I don't know what happened through his late 20s and on into the early 30s. I don't know exactly what happens, but, but, but like God gets a hold of him somehow. And despite the failure, despite the abandoning, despite the quitting, all of this that he's ever been known for, he sticks with it. He holds on to that faith, even if it's just a string, even if it's just a scrap of the faith that he was once introduced to as a kid. He holds on to it for dear life. And God honors that. And God makes that flourish. Because we see Paul, Paul, the, the one guy who was so angry, the guy who was so fuming mad at John Mark for what he did to them back on the mission field, Paul is now writing another letter. He's writing from prison, because that's sort of Paul's MO, and he's writing to this church in Colossae that, that we know now is the book of the Bible named the Colossians. And, and when he's writing to the church in Colossae, he says, oh, by the way, in chapter 4, verse 10, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, doesn't matter who that is right now, sends you his greetings as does Mark. That Mark. The cousin of Barnabas. By the way, you have, <clears throat> you have received instructions about him. It's been 10 years. And it's like Paul is admitting, right? Like throughout those 10 years, I was not silent about how I felt about, about John Mark. What do you think Paul said? What are the stories you think Paul told them? The reputation that Paul perpetuated for John Mark. You've heard about him before, Christians in the city of Colossae. But now I tell you this. If he comes to you, welcome him. Like, like when, you, when you read the Bible, and if you like dig into some of these letters of Paul, and you start seeing some of the things that he's done, and like the hard-headedness that he has... You start to understand, Paul is not, well, he's not a likable guy, but that doesn't matter. Um, he is not a, uh, he's not somebody subject to his whims, right? Uh, he, he's a bit hard-headed. I mean, you could say that it would take an appearance of Jesus himself in physical form on the road for Paul to change his mind about anything. <laughs> but this time we find him changing his mind about John Mark. Because after, after a decade, John Mark like sticks with it for that long. You know? And he's not known as the quitter anymore. He's not known as the one who abandoned Paul. He's now saying, oh, no, no, no. 
he's useful again. He's back in. When, when Paul was later on in life, he's, he's in prison again. Like I said, it's his MO. Think less dungeon and chains and more under house arrest. He is about a year from being executed on the emperor's orders. Like, he knows this is probably it for him. He's not in great health at this point. In fact, he's not writing the letter. He's, he's dictating it, and somebody else is writing the letter for him. He writes a letter to his young protege named Timothy in the city of Ephesus on a different continent that he is. And one of the things that he tells to this young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4.11, he goes, hey, by the way, where I am, locked up, house arrest, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's, he's helpful to me in my ministry. It's like after everything, he battles back. He comes back. He's stuck with it. He is helpful to me again in my ministry. I don't think Paul was an easy guy to reconcile with, but somehow and through it all, God is almost saying it's never too late for me to change, to write your story. You're never too far for me to change the road that you're on. But see, this is what actually prompts me to tell the story of John Mark. Because after that interaction and after Mark is held up and he's referenced in half a dozen different letters to the early church, after he's stuck with it, after they abandoned, after they rejected him, the emperor starts cracking down on the early church, especially in Jerusalem, but wherever there are Christians. He's tired of it. They're sick of it. Let's just wipe them off the earth. They're feeding Christians to lions. They're lighting Christians up as, as lamp fuel for their parties. I mean, they're stamping out this Jesus movement wherever they can find it. At one point in 70 AD, now Mark is an old man. He's not a young kid anymore. It's a, it's a story told over four decades. And, and now in 70 AD, the Roman army comes to Jerusalem, the hometown of Mark, and they lay siege to it. And this time, they are never going to let a rebellion come out of Jerusalem again. And they wipe it out completely. Their point is to make sure that never again will two bricks stand on top of each other in the Jerusalem walls or in the temple in the center of the city. Let's be done with this city and people scatter, they flee. Now this is the hometown, this is the Jesus, this is the place where Jesus based his ministry and did his most incredible works. This is the place where, where there was the most Jesus movement people gathered and concentrated into one place and now they're being stamped out, persecuted and killed and scattered all around the whole world. Everybody is fleeing and all of the stories of Jesus now, 40 year old story, all of the stories are being lost. All of the papers are being burned. Everything is being destroyed and people are forgetting. And it's John Mark who gathers up as many documents as he can and flees to a safe place. And it's John Mark, the quitter, the abandoner. It's John Mark who sits down on his desk and realizes there's still Christians getting persecuted in Rome. There's still people suffering for the Jesus movement. And nobody is around to tell them the reason for the faith that they have. And so it's John Mark who sits at a table. And I just imagine over a course of a couple weeks, he says, this is the reason for the hope that I have. 
This is the gospel. According to Mark, this is the good news. According to somebody who really, truly doesn't deserve it. But as John Mark realized, it's never too late for God to write the next chapter of your life, and you're never too far for God to change the road that you're on. What chapter is he going to write? What road is he going to call you back from? Like, friends, I want to ask, what is your do-over story? Throughout this series, we've been saying, God isn't just a God of the good people and the heroic people. But there are good heroic people because of what God does in giving so many do-overs so many times. What's your do-over story? What, rec- what relationship is he going to reconcile in your life this week? What is he going to ask you to start over again on? What is he going to ask you just to lay down and admit failure towards? What's your do-over story? What is God going to call you back from the road that you were on? And what chapter is he going to write again? Is he going to ask you, Is he going to ask you to hope again? Is he going to ask you to trust again? Is he going to ask you to to open up your heart and to give again? Is Jesus here next to you this morning, whispering into your ear to please, in the name of me, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, live again? It's never too late to change the road you're on. What I'd like to do, finishing out this series together, is to make this an experience that doesn't just live in one place in one time, but but lives beyond this. For the do-over story that God is telling to be told beyond this. And so in the back of your chairs, in in the seat backs in front of you, there's a sheet. I just need everybody to grab that right now. You don't have to do anything with it if you don't want to. That's totally fine. But just if everybody could just reach out and grab one of those, you might have to pass them down the aisles, and that's okay too. We've got some buckets in the back. If you write something down and you want to share that with us, we would be so extraordinarily blessed by that to just drop it in the bucket or in the back, in the box on your way out. What I'd like to do is just just to take this opportunity to to share with us, like, what's your do-over story? What's God telling with your life? What next chapter is he writing? And you know, there's a good chance that there's a few people here this morning who are saying, I was never sure about the Jesus movement. I was never sure if I was in his following. But I am today. Because I want to be known by I want to be known as somebody who's who's a follower of the God of the do-over, of the second chances, of the failures, of the mess-ups, of the time wasters. I want to be one of those people. So if you are making a commitment this morning or a recommitment this morning, 
There's a box on the front that says, I made, a Jesus, I made Jesus Christ as my Savior today. We would just love, we would love and celebrate so much if you check that box and let us know that you're on this Jesus path this morning. You're accepting his invitation of grace. And with it, you're choosing to do over your past life, to turn away from those, those sins that kept you back, that held you down, that rotted us from the inside out. Maybe it's just something that God has been showing you lately and saying, this is, this is what God is going to call me back from. This is what God is giving me as my do-over today, right now, this week, this season. This is the title. This is the caption of what I need to turn away from now. Share that with us. And lastly, I want to be honest and say a huge part of the Christian life is just recognizing that we need a do-over. And so I want to get really real with everybody and just say there's a chance that many of us have come here with, with hard, closed hearts and saying, I don't, I don't need a do-over. This isn't for me. This is for the person next to me or this is the person I should have brought with me to church this morning. And if you're in that place of saying, oh no, God, God does not want me to go through my life with a closed, cold heart. God, I don't even know where to begin but I needed to let go of some things and let you, God, deal with some things in my life. I want you to share those as well. Dear friends, he is the God. He is the God of all of us who have gone down the wrong road, made mistakes. He is the God of every one of us who have wasted all too much time. Let's share our stories with the God the do-over.
Dear friends, next week, we kick off a new series. It's all about when the crowd goes one way and Jesus would have you go another way. It's time to be brave. I remind you to put the cards that you filled out in the box on the way out to share those with us. Hear God's parting word. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Go in the newness of Jesus. We'll see you next week.
So hard to fall so far.